You are listening to the Life Community Church Sermon Podcast. Life Community is a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. This podcast is available through all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. If you enjoy and are challenged by our teaching, we invite you to subscribe to the channel on whatever platform you choose as we seek to anchor ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word together. Thanks for listening. Romans 12, starting in verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the, world, the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, I do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another." Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in his generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Would you pray with me? Father, we just come here today in different seasons of our life, in different journeys, and, and we confess to you today, Father, that we have, in this week, we have we've sinned against you in our thought, in our word, in our deed. We have not loved you with our whole heart and mind and strength. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. God, in your mercy, will you forgive us for what we've been, and will you help us to change who we are? and direct what we should be, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways. Lord, today, will you bring joy to our hearts through your word and your truth? Will you use it to let us be delighted in renewed grace and mercy that finds us each and every day? And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So we've been in a series called Convenient Sacrifice. It's a three-week series where we have been looking at the tensions in a changing world versus what it means to be a faithful follower of Jesus. And so as a leadership team, we, we got together and we talked about this. And, and what we wanted to do was just could we be curious? Could we look at ourselves in in with eyes that aren't condemning, that eyes aren't, that aren't judgment, judgmental, and just let us look into our lives, let us look into our practices, and ask God, is this what you have for me? And, is, and will this, what I'm doing now, Lord, will this benefit, will this be of good for you in the future? And so we want to look at this idea of consumerism. It's one of the topics that we're considering here. Consumerism 
has ingrained itself into almost every aspect of our living. Now, consumerism is an individual's desire for pleasure, stuff, and experience. It's an ever-growing desire for those things. It imagines, consumerism imagines satisfaction and wholeness and fullness coming by our ability to acquire as many of the things that we want, desire, and our preferences as we can in our life. And so the church, the big church, the church of this country, uh, in a nationalistic sense, has not escaped the lure of consumerism. We have adapted in our ways to reach and draw in a changing world by becoming more like that world. We have treated humanity as customers by trying to entice them into our churches, into our groups, into relationship with God, by offering to them something that is appealing and attractive and inviting. Now, is the message of the gospel inviting and attractive? Absolutely it is. But we have shaped it in a way where we communicate, this is what Christianity can do for you. We have made it into a product in sense. The problem with products is that they only stay relevant as long as society sees them as useful and appealing. And so we as the church, we will bend ourselves to the preferences of society if we want to stay comfortable and relevant. And there's great danger in that. And there's concern in doing that. And so the most significant danger in doing that is that as a church, as God's people, we forget or detach ourselves from what God has described to us as the flourishing life, a, a life that is wholly sacrificed to the Lord, given over completely, a living sacrifice, as Paul writes it in Romans. And I want to make sure I use this word flourishing a lot in my conversations with you. Flourishing is not a life that is absence of struggle or strife. Flourishing is knowing how to see those things well, to put them in their proper place. So Paul describes in Romans that flourishing comes by the faithful, wholly giving themselves away, committing our lives to God, not conforming ourselves to the patterns of this world, but renewing our minds and our lives, renewing our desires, our preferences, our opinions, our wants, all of those things by and on the wisdom of God and not on our own. Paul goes on to say, like, you should not think of yourself too highly. And then he teaches that individually you should be members one of another, that there should be a unity within God's family that is distinct, special, and filling. And so in a sense, what Paul is saying to us is that God is calling us into a life of mutual sacrifice to one another and to God as we delight in the sovereign grace and the beauty of Christ. In fact, flourishing finds its fulfillment in fruitfulness, not in 
our accomplishments that the world sees of us through our strength, but in the postures and behaviors in which we engage the world that they see in us through our weakness. An otherworldly love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and faithfulness that is developed and sustained by a holy God himself who is living and active amongst us. And so here's something that we just note, and we said this last week. If we hear this idea of a sacrificial life, of giving ourselves wholly to God, if there is tension within our souls at the mention of that, it is the Holy Spirit of God revealing to us just how deeply entrenched the ideas of consumerism is within our lives. And that is a tension that I have to face as well in my life. And so today we find ourselves in a position in this world where the church and culture are increasingly at odds with one another. And we in that have an opportunity to reorient ourselves, to reimagine what it means to be followers of Jesus and rediscover the joy of God's word. There is tremendous opportunity for us in this. Now, if you're a believer in here and there is strife and worry and anxiety in your life as you hear the messaging of the world, I want to tell you that some of that strife, some of that anxiety, some of that worry that is in you is our good God detaching his church, separating his church from culture. God is separating his church from the world. And so let me explain that in layman's term for you. For a very, very, very long time, Christianity has operated as the de facto religion of an entire nation. And that is mostly because the nation was sort of established with the same morality and principles as our Bibles esteem to us. But that was a marriage that was always doomed to begin with. The foundational truth In this country, bedrock truth is that every individual has the right to govern themselves. But our hope and substance and our faith comes from a God who says that you are not able to manage your own self. And so it was always a paradox. It was a beautiful paradox, but it was always a paradox Now, you could argue that the founders, when they established the nation, had the idea that the individual would sacrifice themselves to the greater good. Certainly, that was in their mindset. But we know our own hearts. We know what's in us, and we know that we tend to bend to make things more about ourselves. And so that's the human condition. And so in accounting for that, we would have to say that it was only a matter of time before the individual started thinking that culture should sacrifice for my benefit. And that's where we're at. And you might hear that and say, well, that's anti-American. It's it's not anti-American. It's not pro-American. I reject any notion that we can't challenge where our citizenship is as believers, but yet at the same time, and enjoy and desire and love the freedoms that we have as Christians in this nation. But I denounce just as strongly having our primary lens in which we view and see the world and others to be American. 
we are adopted sons and daughters of God. We have pledged a different uh, allegiance to a different king and a different kingdom, a, a kingdom and a king in which, who calls us to live as if that kingdom were here right now. A king and a kingdom that are infinite and eternal, not finite and changing like the ones that we have today. And so in all, I say all of these things because culturally the church has bent itself to reaching the world by becoming more like the world, but we are finding the world is growing increasingly hostile to Orthodox Christianity. And listen, the Lord is using that for our good. And I, I can't, I could go into a half an hour or more about how the Lord, that is for God's people's good in the future. That God is purifying and he's pruning the church for our days ahead. Days for you that will be extremely fulfilling and whole. And so we thought that's going to probably take more than one week to talk about all that stuff. And so we decided to divide that into a few intentions. Is that you or is that me? <laughs> I don't know what it was, but it was something. <laughs> okay, there it is. I don't know why. <laughs> so this week, we want to look at the tension that is present in our life today that will be in greater tension in the days to come of why do we participate in the body of Christ? And so this is the big idea for today. This is the big idea for today that the, the church in the past will be the church of the future. I'm not talking about the church of the 80s when Petra was in its heyday. I'm talking about the ancient church that we read about in our scriptures. That church will be more like the church in the future, or our future church will be more like that. And so when I talk about the church, what I am talking about is God's body, God's people, not a building, not a place. We're talking about that sort of specific understanding. Why do we meet together as people? Why do we share life together as people? Why do we even do this thing called Christianity and church? You know, for some of us in this room, we participate in God's body simply because of our delight and our love for the Lord and our love for one another in the church. Some of us, it may be more of an obedience thing. I'm just trying to walk faithfully with the Lord and, and do what he says. While others, it may, maybe it's a tradition thing. I'm, I'm here because this is what my family did, and now this is what I do. And still yet, others might be here because it's something to do. And the people here are nice. And there probably are a mix of lots of different realities that kind of blend those things together. But whatever reason you're in the church today that you participate in God's body, we know that in the future, we will be challenged personally and as family units on why we participate in God's body and even why we have faith. And I'm that is a good thing. It is a good thing that we consider and think about, why do I believe what I believe? Do I really believe this? And the reason that we're talking about this today, the reason that we're having a series like this today, is because we know that in this country, we are moving to a reality 
where Christianity and those who believe in Christ will eventually be a small minority amongst the population in a world that will feel very different than our faith. And so to help us kind of understand that, I made a spreadsheet to kind of convey this to you. And some, there's engineers in here that just got really excited because we're doing a spreadsheet. So enjoy it. This may be the only time we do a spreadsheet. And so the, the top number is years. To the left, you have the percentage of the population that attend church then the percentage of those who attend church that say they belong or are members to a church, and then the last one on the left is those who attend service weekly. And then underneath of that, there are some forces that we want to talk about here in just a bit. And so if we look at this bracket from 1940, uh, we understand that about 70% of American population went to church on a Sunday, or consider themselves to be church attenders. And of that 68%, 75% of them belonged or said they were members to a church. And 49, just under half, said that they were weekly attenders. And so if you move to 1990, so 50 years, that number's changed a little bit. 56%, 72%, That's a 50-year gap, a little movement, but not a ton. But now, when you look at 2001, and this isn't even considering how the pandemic has changed our culture and our our attendance as churchgoers, it is recorded that now only 35% of the population goes to church. Of that percentage that goes to church, less than half consider themselves to belong are members of the church, and about 18% are weekly attenders. Now, listen, we're being curious. We're not condemning people in our habits. We're just saying, why, why do we do the things that we do? And, and we look and we project in the future, and we, we don't know what's happening. But we know that things have been accelerated. Some things happen. And that 1990 number, that 56%, stayed pretty steady until the year 2000. And so over the last 20 years, we've seen an acceleration in decline within church attendance, belonging, and weekly attendance in the church. Most people believe, who knows, right? I don't know. I can't predict the future. That in 2040, 2050, that 35% will be at least cut in half. But we know this, is that the engagement, those who say they belong and attend, that number will more than likely increase because it will mean more to us in that day. At the bottom, there are forces that have happened within our culture in which the church has grown and stayed relevant. And so in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, there was this social pressure that you you just attended church because... Church and Americana were blended in very similar ways. And so having a family, 2.5 kids, having a house, white picket fence, that was as American as going to church. And so if you're going to be a part of society, you attended church. And what happened in that culture is a tremendous amount of guilt and shame developed in keeping people to behave and coming into our churches and staying into our churches. 
But something interesting happened in Generation X. You Generation Xers who were born between 1965 and 1980s, you rejected your parents' faith. You rejected the guilt and shame culture that you grew up with. And people began to leave the church. And so what did the church do? The church said, let me give you reasons for you to attend the church. Let me make this appealing to you. And so we began to use the forces of attraction to bring people into our church, to give people what they want, to get them back into our church to stay what? Relevant and comfortable in culture. And listen, we see, we see how this has shaped our culture in that very bottom graph. The median years of attendance in 2007 at any church globally was 13.7 years. In 2007, the median attendance, the the number of years that one person stayed in one church in a non-denominational organization was 3.9 years. The problem with attraction is that there's always something more attractive. And when things get hard, we simply move to something that's more fulfilling and satisfying. But now as we look at the year 2021, we are embracing an idea of convenience. And look, I know that there are many people who watch online, and look, there are lots of good reasons for us to stay home right now. But I'm just going to tell you that if we as a church, if all we do is meet online, like this thing will be over quicker than we know it. We now esteem, like you don't even have to come to church. You can just, and again, I'm not, let's be curious with this. Here's the danger in that. Here's the danger in that. If all we do is listen to things online, various podcasts, what we will end up doing is make a a buffet of information that agrees with us. And we, in our lives, will not know the value of grace and mercy to one another because we won't be in the mess of experiencing the burdens and the troubles that come with being face-to-face and sharing life together. So we have to be very careful with those things. And so maybe you're saying, so what? What, what, why are you even telling me all this information? It doesn't make any sense. Why, why, why do you want me to know this? Well, that's a great question. Can we spend the rest of our time answering that? There is a day in our future where we will get, we will get to experience the type of flourishing that God calls us into, whether that day is the day that we find rest in the presence of the Lord or on earth as the church begins to have to ask itself some really clarifying questions. Do I really believe this gospel? Do I believe what Jesus did for me? Do I believe in his word? These sorts of clarifying questions will be for our good. As society decreases and animosity towards Christianity increases, we'll have to ask those questions. And there in those questions will give us opportunity 
to realign our priorities and find renewed joy in our sacrifice, in weakness, in humility, in dependence of God, dependency on God. And so I want you to know that you have a good future, believer. Like, you have nothing to fear. You have beautiful days ahead. My concern is this. Why wait? Why wait? It's coming. Why wait? What if we just chose to live that way right now, that we would understand what the future church will look like, and that we would just make it our priority to start living that way now for your joy? And so I just want to end by giving you four things that will be true of the future church that we can start living and thriving and flourishing in today. And so number one is this, is that godly neighbors will be more meaningful. Godly neighbors will be more meaningful. Now, I'm not talking about your literal next-door neighbor. We talk, when we talk about neighbors, Jesus defines neighbor as sort of anybody that comes in our way, on our path. Godly neighbors will be more meaningful to you. Now, imagine you move to a foreign country where you didn't know the language nor the landmarks. You were single, and you made a decision to spontaneously, however that word is pronounced, move to a different part of the world, and you were hungry on that day, and so you chose chili, right? Chili came after hungry, but you didn't want to be hungry for the rest of your life, so you picked chili. (laughs) And so you now live in chili. That's a dad joke. I'm good with it. You live in Chile, and you live in the capital city of Santiago, and you're out one day, you're trying to get customized to the new scenes around you, and you are overwhelmed by a language that you have no idea what they're saying. You're overwhelmed by conversations that are happening all around you that you have no idea what they're talking about. Are they talking about me? The cultural mannerisms and the fashion are different than yours you feel lost, right? You would feel lost. But then, straight ahead, about a block away coming at you is a guy in jean shorts, a shirt that says Texas, and a handkerchief around his head that has the American flag on it. And you're like, that's my guy. And you, you race to him. And you, hey, are you, are you from Texas? And he says, heck yeah, I'm from Texas. And you just begin to talk. And you learn that you have a lot in common. And instantly, you become fast friends. And even more than that, you become like family. Because you share a connection in your likes, in your habits, and you lean on each other to help navigate your new lives. Someday in the future, we will feel a little bit more like foreigners in our own land. And the words of scripture that say that you are sojourners in this world, ambassadors in this world, will be deeply meaningful to us. We will live in a culture that doesn't share our values or our convictions. We will want different things, say different things, experience things differently than the people around us. But there will be people who profess hope in the name of Jesus Christ that you will learn to love and lean on more than you do right now because they will be more than friends to you. They will be your family. 
in which you navigate life together more fully, wisely, intentionally than you could do on your own. And that will bring you far more satisfaction than you believe it will be. And that flows into the second truth. Number two is that humility won't be an option. It just won't be optional. Just like our friend who now lives in Chile, we aren't going to have much of a platform to stand on with pride. To be a believer will mean that we hold and affirm and live by a set of values and morals that are different than others. You will believe in a scripture that is inspired, a God that is infinite, and a person who is flawed and in need of saving grace. And because we have been forced in the future to think about, do I really believe this? And answer that question, we will answer it with a yes. And because we answer it as a yes, there will be no room for us to box Jesus into certain postures in our life like we do now. There's there's no way to set him aside because he will be everything to us. And if he's everything to us, it will be all that we're consumed with, and you will be far less dependent on the world, and you will find less pride in the things that you achieve here. The third reality of the future church that we should consider now is that in the future church, discipleship and evangelism will echo the early church. You know, next week, we're going to watch a video from the underground church in China. And we're going to look at the tensions that they're facing in their world. And we'll use that to talk about our tension that we have, we face today in our country, in our Christianity as seeing Christ as either a fortress or a harbor? Is my faith, is my belief about safety or is it about rest? That's the tension we walk into next week. And I'll say this, it's not apples to apples in comparison, the church today in China and what the future church here will look like. We'll talk more about that next week. But what we do and will have in common is is the way that they do discipleship and evangelism there. Discipleship happens in the home in China. The parents see themselves as the chief disciples of their children. If there's a parent who's a believer, it's a good chance the whole family is a believer. Evangelism, the way in which we outreach ourselves to other people so they know the heart of God will be less strategic and public than it is right now. It will simply be hospitality and care for those around us as we love one another. We'll share meals, we'll care for the widows and the poor, we'll display sacrifice and care in a way that the world might not understand it. We will, and they do, measure different things. Today, as a church, we tend to strategize a little bit more than we ought to. As church leaders, we think, I want, I, I want this many people to be baptized. I, I, would look, I want this many people to have uh, come to faith in Jesus. I want this many people to come through this particular program. And so we talk about it. We build our little strategies, make our little man-centric plans, and then we, we run our play. But there is a day where we will measure all sorts of different things. We will measure that I got one conversation 
about Christ with my neighbor. We will measure that we got to share one meal with somebody living next door to us. We will measure ourselves in that I gave this away to somebody who needed it. But mostly, our counting will be done at the end of the day, where we simply delight in one more day that God showed his faithfulness and care to you, and that will be far more satisfying to you than your life right now. Number four is that you will be weird for all the right reasons. One of the joys in living in Wells County, Indiana, is that we get to experience a a whole different culture on our doorsteps. When we drive our cars on country roads on a summer day, we most assuredly come in contact with a horse and buggy that's going down the road at two miles an hour. We have a whole distinct different culture in our midst and is there anything, look, is there anything more adorable than an Amish child looking out the back of the buggy and waving to you, right? It's just like a bowl cut in a hand. It's just like the, it's great. I love it. And that's, I'm not. Now, what is distinct about Amish? Well, the way that they dress, their beard, the, the lack of technology that they use, that is what is distinct about it. It's a, appearance. It's how you see them. Friend, there will be a day that we will be more like the Amish than we think possible. Look, there'll be indoor plumbing, so don't get too worried about it. It's not that we will look different. It's not that our clothes will be different. We'll share in some of the same technologies and indulgences of the world, but what will be surprisingly distinct about you and I and God's people is that in the future, our postures and behaviors towards the world and one another will be awe-inspiring. The world will be struck by our love and commitment to one another. They will be shocked by our generosity, our selflessness, our gentleness, and our grace, they will be awoken by our forgiveness. All the fruit that God himself is developing and sustaining in us through the Holy Spirit will be the sweet nectar to the world in the future. And that, friends, is when the church will grow again. That is when we will feel a revitalization because we will have allowed the world to follow their passions in a way that God's truth and God's word and his design will be fresh water to them. It'll be a glorious day. And so maybe you think, like, Steve, how do you know this predictive prophet? How do you know this? Are you prophesizing? Are you predicting? I'm not prophesizing. I'm not predicting. I'm reading scripture and I'm listening to it and I'm experiencing it in the way that it was written to whom it was written. Paul writes in his letters to a church that is unwanted and unwelcomed in their culture. In every one of Paul's letters, Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and so forth, Paul is urging brothers and sisters to remain unified, to love one another, to encourage one another, to rebuke one another. 
He calls us to engage with the world but not be a part of the world. He calls that early church, check your hearts. Check your hearts, purify yourself, keep yourself pure. Love one another, look to one another, trust in God, hope in God, persevere in God. That is the reality of a church that has been in persecution, unwanted and unwelcome in their time. And that early church will be our future church, and there is nothing to be scared about, absolutely nothing to be scared about. But we also know this, that in the scriptures, you look at 2 Timothy, we tell us, it tells us that in the last days, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. There is a day that the scripture tells us is coming where Christianity for its own good will be pruned and purified back into some of the postures and rhythms that were present in the early church And if you want to read more about those, you can read Acts 2 and Acts 4. But I'm telling you, it's not something that you need to fear. It will be for our good and our benefit. Let me end by telling you this story. My wife tells me I talk about my college days too much, so forgive me if this is one too many stories about college. I went to Ball State as a believer. I was really young in my faith. Ball State, if you haven't heard, is a secular university that likes different things than God. And so I was on that campus as a, as a new believer in Christ. And can I tell you what I experienced? There were Christian events that I went to that stirred my souls in a way that I, I still don't think that I have found. Because when you live on a secular university's campus, you have every choice imaginable under the sun for you to do. And you don't have your parents there to tell you what to do. And so when I went to a Christian event, it was full of people who made the decision that they were there because they wanted to be there. They had all sorts of other things that they could do, but they wanted to be there because of their love for Christ. And my faith grew And my hope grew in that environment. Friends, I'm going to tell you that in the future, when we gather as believers, it will be far more powerful and exhilarating and meaningful because you will make the active choice to be here because you believe it, and it will be glorious and good for our joy. And so the big idea today, just to remind you, there in the future, the church in the past will be the church in the future. The church in the past will be the church of the future. And God will be in it, and it will be good.